So the walkers had 18 people in their home. Wow. You know, today we're going to be reading about Jesus feeding the 5,000. All right? A little bit more than 18. You know, and it's 5,000 men, in fact. And so most people would say it's probably closer to 20,000 people. 20,000 people to be fed one day. Now, and I think we got to get our heads wrapped around how big in the scope of 20,000 people and feeding 20,000 people. I was talking with Micah yesterday or Friday. He works at Chick. Filet, which is a great job to have, right? Uh, high school. And um, I asked him, on average, for lunch, how many people do you guys serve? Is it about 120? 120 cars. So let's just say there's, I don't know, three, four cars in there. That's close to 500 people, right? A little bit more than 500 people. We'll just say it's safe there. All right, 500 people. And you guys have gone through the drive-through there. I want you to imagine 5,000 cars in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. That's an insane amount of people to be fed. You know, for us, if it's a typical meal at the throne household, that would be 20,000 chicken breasts. Let's say four loaves of bread. Oh, uh, sorry. Four, th- 5,000 loaves of bread. Let's say it's four, four per person. That's 5,000 heads of broccoli. That's an insane amount. I don't even know where you would like, are you going to have piles at that point in time? How, what does that look like to feed 20,000 people? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, what, what would be the cost of that? Glad you asked. The average home cooked meal costs two to $4 per person. Let's take the middle number there. That would be close to $60,000. To feed that amount of people. You might say, well, Jeff, what if they're eating out? Great question. Twelve to fifteen dollars. We'll take the middle there. That is two hundred and sixty thousand dollars to feed twenty thousand people. And to top it off, they weren't even invited to eat. <laughs> Imagine 20,000 people showing up at your door saying, feed me. You'd be like, what in the world is going on? That'd be like the, almost the whole festival that's happening down at the beachfront, um, at the waterfront, showing up at your house saying, we're a little bit hungry. What can you do for us? That's insane. That's a lot of people and a lot of food. You know, and then to add another layer to it. We know that Jesus was actually trying to take time with his disciples. He had just sent them off. And now they're coming back to basically share about what was it like for you, two at a time, to go preach the gospel. So he wanted to hear from them. He wanted to spend some quality time with his friends. And then to add on to that, we know that this is right after John the Baptist's cousin was killed. So Jesus is not really, you know, prepared mentally to host 20,000 people. Let's go to John chapter 6. Jesus had 20,000 people show up on a bad day. (laughs) 
title of today's sermon is Illogical. Illogical. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy um, enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Um, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets. Pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. We'll stop right there. No. You can imagine Jesus sitting there with his disciples, about to have this great conversation, about to hear about how they went out and preached the word on their own for the first time. And he looks up and he sees 20,000 people wanting to follow him, wanting to hear him, wanting to see him. If that was us in this congregation to see 20,000 people, I'll take 5,000 people. I'll take 1,000 people. That's a victory, isn't it? That's a victory to see 20,000 people saying, I want to hear the words of Jesus. But to Jesus, he knew what they were there for. He knew that they were only there because of the signs. Perhaps it was they wanted to be healed. Perhaps they had a family member. Perhaps they just wanted to see Jesus do something great. But Jesus knew that, hey, you're not here to actually learn. About God. But you're here for somebody, something else. But Jesus sees them coming in this great crowd. I don't even know what that looks like to see 20,000 people just migrating towards you. And he looks to his disciple and he asks Philip in verse 5 Hey, how are we going to feed these people? You can imagine the weight of that question. Looking at Jesus, be like, ha, ha. yeah, feeding them people, right? Come on, Jesus. There's nothing here. 
I don't know what we can do. I don't even have enough money, Jesus. Come on. This doesn't make sense. This is an impossible task that you have asked me. Then, of course, we have um, Andrew speaks up. He's like, hey, we got five loaves and two fish. And I'm sure at that moment he's kind of thinking in his mind processing, whoops, should have kept my mouth shut. (laughs) Not a great solution. The other 12 disciples are like, dude, seriously? Five, five loaves? That's your best option? You know, both of them look at the problem saying we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. And we only got five loaves. That's 4,000 people per loaf. That would have been a small little biscuit-sized loaf. I don't know how you would do that, dividing up little teeny pinches. You know, in verse 6, though, it says that Jesus asked this question of them to test them. Jesus knew that there was no logical solution. He asked two men to feed 20,000 people with no prep. No solution. No logical solution to these two men. He doesn't give them any hints. Now, as we see, Philip breaks it down into funds. He starts computing. Andrew seems to be faithful, but then looks at what he has and says, we don't have enough. What we see here is his disciples begin to attack the problem with human ingenuity. They begin to see it through the lens of humanity. No, in our lives, we always have problems, don't we? We always got problems. And sometimes those problems seem too big to solve. We look at it logically and we say to ourselves, man, I got nothing. I don't have the money. I don't have the right tools. What am I going to do with this? We got money problems. We got family problems. We got personal problems. We got problems with sin. We got every day your car's not working. You ran out of gas. You got pulled over for speeding and you had an out-of-date inspection. Your AC's not working right. Water bill is higher than normal. Finally get something in your savings and then something takes it away. That breaks. Grass needs to be cut. Large, unexpected medical bills. A call from the school about how your kid is not behaving. You missed your wife's birthday. Brother's not calling you back. Your boss gives you all the work. Not recognize her thanks. You need to lose weight. And sin is still nagging at you. And that was just one week. One week. And I would say, I'm sorry. That's a tough week. But we all got issues, don't we? If I asked you to write down all your problems right now on a sheet of paper, it'd be like that. You'd be like, yup, here we go. I can list them off real quick. Do not think about them. Push them out. Okay, push them out. Learning about God, push them out. <laughs> you guys are stressing out, like, oh my gosh, Jeff just needs to finish. I need to go home and solve some of these problems. <laughs> but the problem with us as people, we are self dependent. Yes. You know, as we get older in life, we have the great privilege of getting wiser, don't we? But with that, some of us are debatable, as I'm sure Kelly would say after 15 years, debatable. Um, 
But with that wisdom, we look at ourselves as the one who has all the solutions. Now, I love the fact that we have smartphones. Great, great device. But you think about all the answers you can get now, you just Google it up. Someone, someone says something, they're like, oh, man, that was the highest grossing movie ever. Um, Avengers Endgame. You're like, I don't know about that. And you look it up. <laughs> Sports facts are the greatest ones. I love it. People are like, Michael Jordan was the best player ever in the face of the world. And I'm like, let me look at it. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forget about Will Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah. But you can Google anything. I mean, I like to work on cars, and when I get stumped, I just Google it. And somebody did it at some point in time. I just watch the video, and boom, I'm an expert. <laughs> right? We have so many answers within our hand or within our pocket. But with that come some issues that we see ourselves as the judge of what is logical and what is illogical. What is a logical solution or what is an illogical solution to the problems that we have in our lives? You know, Jesus tells us, as we see here, just want to make sure I'm right spot. Jesus tells the 12 to have everybody sit down. After he asks them, what are we going to do to feed them? He says, basically, don't worry about it in silence. Everybody sit down. You can imagine the 12 going and walking around telling, hey, why don't you guys sit down? Why don't you guys go sit down? They're like, man, we're, we're really hungry. They're like, I know, sit down. Just, just, just sit down. Walking around 20,000 people, that's a long time to say sit down to everybody. Hopefully they kind of figured it out and all sat down. But Jesus tells the 12, you go out there. You tell them, everybody sit down. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but go tell them to sit down. And as Jesus looks up with his small um, amount of food, he looks up and he begins to pray to God. And he thanks God for what he has. And he begins to divide up the bread and the fish. And I don't know how long it took the 12 to figure out that there was more coming out than what was there. Yeah. I don't know how they figured. I don't know what that looks like. They're like, we'll just keep bringing these baskets back. And Jesus keeps piling it on. And we're kind of like looking around like, Jesus, where you got that secret supply? <laughs> but at some point in time, they had to figure out this doesn't make sense. But yet more food is coming out. I'm just going to keep going. I don't know what the solution have, is, is here. But clearly Jesus has a plan. And Jesus' solution defies logic. It is illogical by all definitions. To feed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus' message was clear to his disciples just as it is for us today. You can't put limitations on my power. You can't put limitations on the solutions to your problems. You have no wine, I'm going to turn water into wine. Right. We got no food for 20,000 people, I'm going to turn a small amount into enough to feed the masses. You see death, I'll conquer death. 
So my question for you, church, is Jesus the same as he was then, today? Yes. Is his ability to illogically solve your problems the same as it was back then, as it is today? Is Jesus still that powerful? What can't he do in your life? At the end of the day, it's a question of faith, isn't it? It's a question of faith. And the thing that we have to wrestle with is what do we have? What's the logical solution? But yet, what can Jesus do illogically in my life? Now, have we uh, allowed human logic to take over and to choke out our faith in Jesus? To begin to take away the power, the illogical power that Jesus possesses. Now, perhaps there's no solution to my marriage. This is just it. This is what I have to live with the rest of my life. Well, the only solution is for me to get out. Maybe it's the other way around where you're saying, man, I, I, will, I will forever be single. This is just God's plan for me. Even though it's my desire, nothing will ever happen. Perhaps it's the sin that you battle with and you say to yourself, nothing can ever change. This is just who I am. I try and I try, but yet I fall and I fall. I realize my life is a mess. But this is what I have to live with. Maybe it's even that you've been a faithful disciple for years. You've shared your faith over and over and over again. And no one has ever come out to church. No one has studied the Bible with you. No one has been baptized that you have personally shared with. And you tell yourself, maybe I'm just not good at it. Or maybe you're a disciple who's fallen into such deep sin that you look at your own salvation and you say, it's just not there anymore. That I have gone too deep, too far. And the grace of God cannot extend to me any longer. We can't put limits on God. We can't put limits on Jesus. Because he is the one that fed the 20,000 and raised from the dead. Amen. Jesus' plan for you and your life has always been illogical. Let that sink in for a moment. His plan for you has always been illogical. That your life won't make sense to the outside observer. You know, I love those stories. Where someone tells about a huge problem that they had, right? You know, maybe it's they've lost their job or there was a family member who was really sick. Or maybe it's that they were battling with something in their character. And they get towards the end of the story and they say, I can't believe that God did blank. That's right. I love those stories, don't you? Yeah. Do you have one? I think we all love those stories because we get to see the power of God. We get to see it. We get to uh, experience it. 
within the fellowship. And amen, I think that should help and grow your faith, even if it's not you. But why can't we all tell those stories every week? I love what Dan asked us to do for the fellowship break. What? What was your great thing that God did? But unfortunately, we can build our limitations based on what we've seen. Based on what we've heard. Because those make sense to us. What is tangible? It makes sense. It's logical. If I told you to jump right now out of your seat and touch the ceiling, you'd look at me like I was crazy. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to help you touch the ceiling. But we have a logic, right? Because you'd say, Jeff, I've never jumped and touched a ceiling before. That's 20, 18 feet tall. I've measured it before. 18 feet tall. Right. Don't ask why. for a big old bounce house to put in here. You guys don't know the things we do at Team Devo. We have bounce houses inside here. Anyways. It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. Anyways, where was I? Distracted. Yes, 18 feet tall. Because you would think to yourself, logically, I can't do that. That doesn't make sense, Jeff. My body's just not built that way. You know, for a while, and I know Ed has talked about this previously. For a while, it was thought that, the, um, that a man, a human being, could not run um, a mile less than four minutes. Right? And we know that Roger Bannister in 1954 broke that. He was the first man to do it. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, defies logic, never could have happened. Who saw this coming? What in the world? Once in a lifetime. But that record has been broken and broken and broken right now. The standard, that is the standard for a great runner. Four minutes. It's the standard. Nothing special anymore. It is the standard. 1,400 people have ran a sub four minute mile at this point in time. The current record is three, three minutes and 43 seconds. If he was, if Roger Finisher was to look at logically what has been done, he would say it's impossible. If you were to logically look at your life, logically look at the problems you face, you would come to the same conclusion. It's not possible. Jesus can't do anything about this. God's power, it doesn't reach that far. I think for us, church, the standard for our faith has to be illogical. That we can't explain how Jesus did this. That we can't explain how Jesus is moving in our lives. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Jeff, my faith is actually one of my strengths. Amen for you. I appreciate that. Amen. I'm glad you're here in the fellowship. I hope that it just overflows and you can help others like myself. But I would say right now, honestly, I don't know if this is a strength of the congregation. You know, as a church, I'm just going to give you... uh, an example here. As a church, we've been holding at 800 for a while as far as members go. It's baptized members in the Hampton Roads Church. You know, when I, I don't know about you, but when I come to church, sometimes everybody's late. Amen. So I, you know, come here. Um, 
Because when I'm here at 9 o'clock, I'm like, wow, we're shrinking. All right. Amen. Side note, distracted once again. Here we go. But when, but when, when we show up for church, it's, this, it's the majority of the same people. And no one stops time. Amen. You see where I'm going with this? We're getting older. Churches die as we get older. Literally and figuratively. Congregations die. Have we been looking for a logical solution? Have we put limits on our faith even here within our congregation? That we look at what's been done before. We look at, you know what, a thousand is too much. A thousand people never going to happen because we've never been there before. You know what my dream is, and it's um, Ed's as well, is that we're able actually to split this region in two once again. We have a Norfolk and a beach region. But we're not ready yet. Our faith isn't there yet. Our faith is not illogical yet. Why can't the Hampton Roads Church be an example that solves the racial tensions within our cities? Come on, Joe. Have we put limitations on that? Why can't our church be the one that brings a solution for all the poor and needy in our communities? Why can't the Hampton Roads Church be the solution for the sin that wrecks and wreaks havoc in the lives of your neighbor, of your neighborhood, of your school, of your job? Why can't it be the solution? Have we put limitations on it? Have we put limitations not on these four walls, but on the power of God? The same one that fed the 20,000. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead. Have we put limitations on that power? In John chapter 12, it reads that Jesus says that we're going to do even greater things. It's from Jesus. Do we hold on to that? You know, in verse 12, chapter 6, it says that the people had enough to eat. And more than that, they had 12 baskets full left over. Jesus gives more than they need. The solution isn't barely scraping by. In fact, he fills everyone and then gives them more. He tells the disciples, you didn't understand. And now each of you is walking out with one extra basket. Because you put limitations on my power. You look for the logical solution. And now you've got to walk around with this basket full of food, thinking to yourself, Jesus is the source of the illogical solutions. What Jesus gives today fills to overflowing. It meets the need. But not only that, it gives more and not by the way that you thought, but by the third option. The illogical option. Jesus' plan for you was never for you just to get by, not for just one loaf, but for more than you can eat. 
for more than you can handle. To be filled to overflowing. But sometimes that's hard for us to see because we're worn down by sin, church. You know, for myself, looking back over the years, as a young man into college and even early on in my own marriage, purity was an issue. Personal purity was an issue. And I'll be honest with you, church, I was worn down. I was worn down fighting. I was worn down feeling like there is no solution. I remember the conversation I had with Kelly was when it, when it basically reached a point where I was completely defeated. I remember being able to say the words, I can't do it. Kelly looked at me and said, why can't God? And I was like, because he can't. I've been trying too hard. I put limitations on the power of God. I think for us, church, the sin that entangles us is what puts limitations on the power of God. And amen, I've been able to change since then. It's been almost 12 years, 10 years since I've been pure. So amen for that. But Jesus has a plan for your life. And no logical plan. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll wrap things up. All right, church? We'll talk about this illogical plan as we close things out. In verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Guess what? It's the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Stop right there. God has given the gift to you of grace. We look at our own problems and we try to solve them based on what we've seen and heard and what what we feel like is logical. And we set limits to Jesus' power. But yet we look at Jesus and ultimately his gift of grace does not make sense. It does not make sense in our life. If you were to look at your own track record, it does not make sense. If you were to look at your own past week, it does not make sense. But yet that is who God is at his core. That is who Jesus is at the core. Our faith at the core is a gift. A gift that is overflowing. Not by your works. But because of the love of Christ. The people were not fed by their works. They just showed up. They didn't even bring enough food. But yet Jesus, by his gift, was able and willing to feed them to overflowing. Jesus does the work. That's what grace is. We didn't take away our own sins. We didn't earn the Holy Spirit. We didn't recreate ourselves as holy and pure sons and daughters of God. He did the work. And what he does is illogical. In Romans it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Jesus' love and power is illogical. But that's the beauty of it. That's the excitement of it. That it doesn't make sense. And that's what our faith needs to be built on. So as we close out here, church, I want to ask you this question. What would be illogical for Jesus to do in your life? Personally, in three different areas here. Personally, spiritually, and here within the church. I want you to think about this question throughout the week. I want you actually to physically write down some answers for this one. To answer the question, what would be illogical for Jesus to do in your life? Personally, spiritually, and and within the church. So let's see what Jesus can do through us and the HRC. Amen? Amen. Amen. This time, Paul's got a special um, announcement.